members of the church family, our sermon titled this Lord's Day morning is the cost of a true disciple. The cost of a true disciple. What is the cost of a true disciple? What's the cost of becoming a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God? Well, according to verse 26 through 29 of Luke 14 today, there is an absolute cost for becoming a true Christian. Don't let anyone tell you that there is not a cost for becoming a true Christian. Sadly, this cost is very, very little spoken about in the majority of churches Nowadays, most churches do not speak of the cost of becoming a true disciple and follower of Christ. And if the cost is briefly spoken about, it is little more than some virtue signaling, signaling uh, guilt trip, really, to give more money or tithes, to fill the pockets of a social preacher, as it were, the social gospel preacher, or to be a better citizen or better person, or better neighbour. And friends, this is not the cost which the Lord intended when he said in verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple cannot be a true Christian, really, if you put or prefer or love any of these things before God. That's what the, the Lord Jesus is saying here. If you prefer or love or put any of these things before your Maker, you cannot be a true believer in Christ. And who is the Lord Jesus speaking to here? Well, he's speaking to the multitudes, all sorts of people. Pharisees, his disciples, and everyone. And the Lord speaks to everyone here today, and everyone will come to listen to this sermon today. It's for all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds. And if ever there were a verse, really, that breaks the status quo of the much nominal and worldly Christianity which is engulfed around us, it is this verse here, isn't it, today? Our sacred text this morning, dear friends, I don't know if you've noticed here, it has a divine order to it. It has a divine and providential order to it. And it starts really with those beginning words of the Saviour, the Lord Jesus. If any man come to me, the Lord Jesus said. If any man come to me. This really implies that between God and man, there is a great gulf, isn't there? There's a great distance between us and God. And we know from the full counsel of Scripture that it is our sin that separates us from a holy God. God is holy. Uh, he cannot look upon sin. And so there is this great gulf that separates us from God. And so those who seek the Lord God must be absolutely genuine about who God is. They must seek God truthfully and they must seek Him sincerely and it must be done with all their hearts. There must be a true forsaken
forsaking of sin and the love of this world and the love of Christ. They must seek the pearl of great price with everything they've got. And when they've got that pearl of great price, well then they sell everything they, they have, don't they? Uh, nothing compares to the pearl of great price. And so there is a gulf here, isn't there? If any man, sinful man, come to me, that has come to God, there stands many common obstacles, doesn't there, which are common to all of us. And these obstacles are named in, I believe, a divine order here, a providential order here, uh, for, a, for a reason, for us to overcome. And we, and we all, all of us, fall, have fallen with these obstacles, these, these obstacles which we all fall in in life. But they all need to be overcome, you see, all of these common obstacles of life. Of course, this particular passage is also referring to the, com the commandment, the first commandment in Exodus 20, verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We, 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 we are guilty, all of us, of putting other things before God, aren't we? By loving the gift more than the giver. By loving the creature more than the creator. And God says, well, if, if, if you, I will not compete. I will not compete with my creation. If someone truly is seeking me by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, if you're truly seeking to be saved and have a, a real relationship with God, you must, be on, you must be honest about it and truthful about it and sincere about it, about your sin and of your need to look to the Lord. You must humble yourself and be absolutely sincere that you are forsaking sin and a life of sin and that you are utterly going to seek the Lord for everything that you've got. This is the sentiment here, isn't there? Our text implies that any man come to the Saviour, to Christ, genuinely, heartily, by the Spirit and by the grace of God, it must be sincerely done. It must be done with a whole heart. Remember Rahab, the harlot. She spent a life, didn't she, of prostituting herself away from God. And remember, when she heard of what the God of Israel had done to Pharaoh, to Egypt. And that though Israel was fewest amongst all the people, the Lord blessed them and the Lord helped them with a mighty hand to overcome Pharaoh and Egypt. And what happened to that harlot Rahab? Well, the fear of God fell upon her. She believed in the Lord God, didn't she? And she acknowledges in Joshua that the God of Israel is the God of heaven, didn't she? She says, it's the, your God is the God of heaven. And she moved, didn't she, with faith and, and true biblical fear and belief and to the saving of those spies, to the overcoming of that city of Jericho. And she was saved, wasn't she? And her life of sin, of prostituting herself, her life was saved, her soul was saved, and that of her family as well. What about Abraham? Abraham sincerely, didn't he, when he was called, left everything, his family, all his kindred behind, didn't he? 
And he was called out. He sincerely left it all and followed the Lord God. He was taken, wasn't he? And what about his son? That son was as if it was his own soul, the heir of faith, as it were, where the line of the Saviour would come in his old age. He sincerely was willing to, to lay down his precious son's life, Isaac, as, as it were. And uh, our, our sincerity and our love for the Lord will always be proved, dear friends. Remember that. If we say that we're Christians and we love God, it will always be proved through trials of faith, whether we truly love the Lord or not. What about Noah? Noah for over 120 years, wasn't he? Before the flood came upon the old world, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was warning people of God's judgment. He was telling people, you need to repent of your wickedness. And remember the days that Noah lived in. It was said of those days that the, that the imaginations and the thoughts of the hearts of men were evil continually. They were, they were terrible days. The world, the, the world was filled with violence. And Noah, undauntedly, believing in the judgments of God, he kept on preaching. He was maligned. He, was, he often, no doubt, was cast down, as it were. For 120 years, he was a preacher of righteousness. And he continued, didn't he? And, uh, and the ark was built, as it were. And him and his family were saved. What about Abel? Abel sincerely offered up a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, didn't he? He believed in Christ. He believed in the Saviour, didn't he? And uh, it was accounted to him for righteousness. He, he gave, he offered his best, didn't he? Because he believed in God. He, he knew what God required. But that wasn't said of Cain. Cain gave the scraps, basically, of what, of what he had. Don't come to God and give the scraps of your time. The scraps of your heart, as it were. You see, we're living in such days now where many professing Christians have one foot in the world one foot in, uh, one, one foot in the church and they've got the scraps. Well, I'll just give these things over to you, as it were. I'll renovate the room instead of the whole house, as it were. Well, this, this cannot be. We must come with everything. Surely, what about Daniel? When Daniel knew of that, that ungodly decree, which was designed, wasn't it, for him to deny God, and more so to, to deny the king, um, what did he do? He opened the windows, didn't he? And he prayed to the Lord God towards Jerusalem. He didn't care if that meant a certain death for him because he trusted in God and God's sovereignty. You see, he was sincere, friends. If any man come to me, if any man come to me, it must be sincere, friends. It has to be. You have to be all in, as, as it were. And Daniel, of course, was all in. He was thrown to the lion's den, wasn't he? But the Lord, by his wonderful grace and mercy, helped overcome, didn't he? You see, friends, how it's only those who diligently seek after God will be found. Only when we truly turn from sin. And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jeremiah 29, 13 comes to mind. 
and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. That's such a precious word, isn't it? That's a promise of that God makes to everyone. And ye shall seek me and you will find God and you shall find me, God says. Anyone who wants to be saved, truly saved, can be saved, but it must be done. With all the heart, ye shall search for me with all your heart. All in. Nothing now. Like pilgrim, pilgrim's progress. Forsaking the world and going, as it were, to the heavenly city. Seeking the Lord with all the heart. It must be. This is no shallow, bare profession, dear friends. This is no pressurized coming up to the front of the church to be seen by other people to be a Christian. This is not that, is it? This is not uh, a reciting prayer without any conviction of sin. This is none of these things. There is a cost, isn't there? A real cost for becoming a true born-again follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that cost is a life for a life. An eye for an eye. It must be. Christ's precious holy life the, the Son of God Himself who came from the glorious courts of heaven and lived that perfect life of obedience, that righteous life that we could never live, and who died and suffered on the cross, who was often maligned, was a man of sorrows, His holy, precious life for our wretched, sin-tainted lives, a life for a life. It's, it's not even comparable, is it? But it has to be. It has to be. And so let us firstly understand, if any man would come after God, they must do sincerely, truthfully, from the heart. doesn't matter what other people think of you. doesn't matter what family or other Christians may think of you. That's not going to matter on the Day of Judgment. What's going to matter is if your heart's right with God. And if you truly love Him more than anything, that's what's going to matter. There is a cost, isn't there? becoming a true disciple. Secondly, let us, let us consider the divine order. I believe there is a divine order here of the common obstacles which man makes into his God as life goes along. From his early years right up until his perishing days. There are common obstacles which man makes or stand between man and God which can take him away from having a real, sincere, and truthful relationship with God. Now, I must say that the Bible is not teaching us not to love one's family. That would completely contradict Holy Scripture, wouldn't it? Because we're told to love God and to love our neighbours. We're told to love our wives, to love our children. God is for these things. And those who truly love God the most, I believe, love their wives, their husbands, and so on, the, the, the most. Because they truly love their souls. And those who are friends to your souls are your best friends. And so, dear friends, this, this does not contradict. What the Lord is saying here is that God must be loved and preferred far exceedingly more than the creature the creator, the giver, 
of everything that we have, wife, husband, children, brethren, sisters, anything, land, whatever it is, riches, he must be loved and preferred way, way more above these things. And it is only completely reasonable of God to expect this of us. We must love the Creator more than the creature. We must love the giver more than the gift, surely. You see, friends, if we do not love God, if we do not seek to love the Saviour, or rather know of His love to us, wherewith He has loved us, well, therein lies the problem. There's a great vacuum, isn't there, within each and every one of us. And for years, I had this vacuum within me. You see, I tried to fill it. I, I could say, I love my mum. I loved her. And I still love my mum. <laughs> and I, I loved people in my family and other people. But you see, friends, those people, those gifts that God gave me, actually, in, in a way, took me away from loving God. Because I held on to those things too much. And it took me far away from actually loving God. You see, the problem that you may have, it's a problem that I had for many years, we're made for eternity. We're made to have a relationship with our God. There is a vacuum within us. And if we try to fill that vacuum with the temporary, with people, things of this life, there's always going to be something missing. There's always going to be an emptiness there. And that's our great folly, isn't it? We try to fill only that which God can fill with people. Parents, wife, husband, children, and the sparkling things of this world. We try to fill the eternal vacuum with temporary things. And that's why we see a society that is so broken, that is so lost, is because they're all seeking for uh, an illusion that doesn't exist. Only in Christ, friends, only when we have Christ, we've got it all. We've got God living in us. That's what we need, isn't it? Surely. Let us consider, dear friends, now this divine order, this progression we see here, which starts really from our youth and, and the, the, the common things, the common things in life that take us away uh, from God, which only God, which only should, which only should be for God, really. It starts off with one's parents, doesn't it? Our, our, our idolatry, as it were, starts off in our youth. David said in the Psalms, didn't he? In sin did my mother conceive me. I was born a rebel sinner from God. I wasn't born a saint. I wasn't born loving God and, and loving the things of God. I was born a rebel from God, as it were. And so this is very important to understand that we're all born with sinful natures, rebels against God. And so it's, the idolatry starts off young. How often have we, have we read in the scriptures, especially in terms of the kings, don't we? That many of the kings, how they, they did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. And everything their fathers did, they did it likewise and more so. And what happened? They provoked God. God to anger, didn't he? And God's fierce anger was upon them. And this is true all around us, dear friends. The multitudes of people 
believe what their parents believe in, what their father or mother gives their hearts to, the things of this world, the enticing things of this world, they believe in those things. They're influenced by those things. What parents do and what parents are influenced, what children will be influenced in those things as well. And humanly speaking, from a very young age, a parent doesn't have to be a Christian parent to have that affection for a child, a child have a child's affection. A child naturally, you see, a parent's love, there's something that's very special about a parent's love, isn't there? It's very something very powerful about a parent's love. Even an unchristian parent, unconditionally looking after a baby, late nights providing for a baby, growing up providing all these things. But if that person is not a Christian, doesn't care for their soul, sits them in front of the telly, watch these things, play games, learn these things, do these things, make your own way in life, that philosophy. Well, we know when someone is truly brought to Christ, for instance, let's say, for instance, a Muslim, and they're truly converted, they've got a choice, haven't they, between their parents. They love their parents. They love their parents. But their parents reject them. It's between us or God. Choose us or God. And that person has to make that choice. Don't they? Come out, and the Lord says, come out of your, your father's house. Come out. Come out into my house, as it were. There's a choice, isn't there? And we see, of course, true believers, and we see this in persecuted countries in particular, they have to make that stark choice, don't they? The powerful love, as it were. But of course, Christ's love is far more powerful than a parent, the dear friends. We must love the giver more than the gift. You see, that's very important. As much as we love our parents, we must love. We must love the giver of our parents more than our parents themselves. The divine order and progression continues when a young person grows up into the teen years, into the early 20s. It continues, doesn't it? And what a man can put before God. And we are told the next, the next, as it were, God, a false God, as it were, which people, good things, can be, can be turned into, into snares, can't they? The next on the list is a wife. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We see the next on our list is a wife. Proverbs 18.22 says, Whosoever findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favour of the Lord. Wives are good. God has given us. Uh, we should have wives. We should have husbands. These are good things. But a wife is good. A wife is good, but not if she is sought or prized before God. Like we see in the culture all around us. I've got to live for these things. I must get a perfect wife. Someone who's perfectly looking. Who's, who ticks all the boxes, as it were, perfectly in, in this sense. Carnally in this sense. In this sense. People seek and prize these things above God. Especially when we thought about the dating culture recently. People seek these things. And are obsessed with these things. A wife is, is good, but not if she takes away us from our first love for God. Surely. 
And the same, of course, applies to a husband as well. We remember Abigail in the Bible, um, who had that stubborn husband, didn't, didn't she? And yet she did that which was right in the, in the sight of the Lord. She helped David and his men, didn't she? And it cost her, didn't it? And so a, a little bit of admonition for us here, who are parents or some sort, we must do that which is right. You know, part of being persecuted as a Christian is doing that which is right in our family. We must do so lovingly and respectfully, but we must all stand for God. And she did that which was right. God requires absolute fidelity, faith, faithfulness to him. Remember, remember Hosea in the Bible, that minor prophet, who had to marry Goma, a prostitute. And this, of course, is not something for us to, to, uh, to, to, to for, for our instruction. <laughs> We're not to do that. Um, it was a symbol here. It was telling us Israel were acting like Goma. They, they were prostituting themselves from God, as it were. They, were. they were loving the things of this world more than God, as it were. And he was showing them through, through Goma, through Hosea's love and, and forbearance and long-suffering to Goma. It's a picture, isn't it? God wants us to be truly and soundly converted. But we must understand that we must leave off the love of these things and truly love the Lord and seek Him the most. Consider the next on the progression here of what man puts before God. Children. Children. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children, and brethren and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We know from Holy Scripture that children are a blessing of the Lord, the fruit of the womb, aren't they? And they should always be considered this way. But of course, they can also be snares, can't they? They can also be snares. Remember Rachel. When she said to Jacob, give me children, or else I die. She was jealous of her sister, wasn't she? Give me them, or I die. You see, children were becoming an idol within her heart, weren't they? And remember Jacob's response to her in Genesis 31. Am I in God's stead? Am I in God's stead? And that's the right thing to do, isn't it? God is in control. You need to bring these things to God. And so should be our response. Parents must not spoil their children, as it were. This is to spoil the soul. We live in, 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 in the prosperous West where children are, are horrendously spoiled nowadays. And really to spoil a child is to spoil their soul. Parents must love, of course, their children by showing that they love God the most. That's the most effective way of showing children. By loving God the most. By living every day for the Lord, sincerely and purely. Children will see that. Doesn't matter all, any of all the other things, don't matter. If a child sees that my dad or my mum sincerely love the Lord, they want to be spent for the Lord, the children will soon find out they are sincere, they're not hypocrites. 
They don't say one thing and do another thing another day. That's the best way, isn't it? Parents must discipline and lovingly correct their children. It's not loving to withhold the rod, to, to lovingly correct a child, to save that child's soul, to guide them, to lovingly correct them with the rod, guide them in the way that they should go. You see, our, our contract hates these things. Scotland is banned now, isn't it? Love and correction is banned. You see, the culture is wanting to take us completely away. They're wanting our children to become idols. That, that's the point. Why is all these things, these, these things need to be idols? We're lifting up Greta. Look at this idol here. Lecturing the, lecturing the, the leaders of the world. It's because, you see, we were allowing these things to take our heart where only the Lord should be. Now we, the next brethren, we have brethren, don't we? Brethren and sisters. And of course, this is referring to ecclesiastical circles, spiritual circles. And uh, we know that the Pharisees were pros, weren't they? They were absolute pros at being seen by other people to, to love God and to love their brethren. What really mattered to them was to be seen to be praying in the street in loud prayers. That they just wanted to be seen to be godly. And uh, that's what mattered to them. Not true love for the Lord God. And dear friends, last on the list here is one's own life. And this is deliberately last on the list, isn't it? It's deliberately last because, because the last idol to be cast out of the, out of the heart is self, isn't it? That's the last idol to be cast out of the heart, is self, self-love, self-interest, self-pity. These things, these things God wants us to cast out, as it were. And it's last deliberately. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. This is last on the list because it is the last God, the last false God to be thrown out of our hearts. You cannot love God aright if you love yourself more. It, it cannot be done. You must die to self. True love for God is dying to self, forsaking self, forsaking the things of this world, the things which people in the nations of the world give themselves to. You must die to self. You must be seen Poor, blind, maimed. I have nothing left. I've tried a broken system to this world. I'm at my wit's end, as it were. I stagger like a drunken man. There's nothing left in me. Christ is my only hope in this world. And I look to Him, and I, and I seek Him with all my heart, as it were. It will cost, it will cost the truly forsaking and mortifying of beloved sins of lusts. There's a truly mortifying of sin and a forsaking of sin, isn't there? This is not playing games with God. This, this, is, this is a life and commitment by the grace and by the mercy and spirit of God. You, you, you conclude, you submit to the, to the call of the gospel. I know these things to be true. I cannot divide my heart anymore between God and myself and the things of this world. It cannot be, because they'll just take me away from God. 
The good gifts, the good things that God's given me, they'll be my worst snares, as it were. These things must be true. You know, it is, it is true that the, that the more we follow the Lord as true Christians, the more we will be considered off-scouring scum of this world. I found, when I was, when I was converted in my 20s, I, I found this very, very true when I was converted. <laughs> I thought, this is what, the Lord had a special presence and blessing, but I thought, oh, I'm so full of joy and, and wonder. And it was so wonderful that the Lord's special blessing was, a, was upon me. But then after months and months, I found that there were lots of people, very quickly, who tried to take me away from God. There were even loved ones that tried to take me away from God. And they did everything to do that. And even to the point of physical, the physical side of things. And friends, I'll tell you now, that the more and more you grow, and this is not true of everyone, of course, but the more and more you love the Lord, the more and more you'll be hated because you're standing on God's word. You're no longer going back to the world anymore. You love the Lord. And so you will be considered. And I see this pattern right throughout Scripture. I see this in the Old Testament with true believers, saved by God's grace, and I see this in the New Testament. Through much tribulation, we must enter into heaven. Through much tribulation, we will not be liked people. And we should not try to be liked people. We should, we, should, we should seek to be faithful to the Lord in everything. And forsake this world. This, this world will soon be burnt out. It's, just, it's, it's not going to last, is it? In many instances, our faith and love for Christ will be put to trial, dear friends. Matthew 13, 21 comes to mind. When tribulation or persecution arises because of the world, by and by, he is offended. That's what happens. And, I, and I've actually witnessed this in a number of people who profess to know the Lord. And they're just gone. Gone. No, no email back, no contacting back, just gone into the world, as it were. And they were people who were on fire. And I, and I hope their faith will revive. I really do. But they were, they were people who were on fire as it were, for the Lord. But then a few years come by, trials come, persecution comes because of the word, you see, and what happens? There wasn't a true root in Christ, was there? There wasn't a true understanding. It's a life. It's my whole life, as it were. It's not just a renovating all the room of one room of my soul, of my heart. No, 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 no. There must be a complete refurbishment. There must be a complete breaking down, as it were, and a building up in Christ. It cannot be just a part of my life. And that's the cherry-picking Christianity we see in the West, don't we? You can pick the type of Christianity you want. And that's why we are, <laughs> I say, this church and the searching ministry of this church is often very despised. You, you will not find many you will not find many worldly Christians coming here and staying here. Unless by the grace of God they become serious. Because they will not abide under a searching ministry. You see, we must love God more than anything. Surely, God must be first in our lives. We must be rooted in Christ. 
Luke 14.33 comes to mind. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? Luke 14.33-34 So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be seasoned? You see, we have to forsake all for the Saviour. And, and Christ forsook everything, didn't he? He gave up everything. He came from the glorious courts of heaven, didn't he? He came with sweet communion with his Father and the Holy Spirit from eternity past. He, he gave it all, didn't he? For us. And would we neglect so great a salvation? Would we come with half a heart? Would we come with part, a, a part of our lives and say, I'll give this part to you? Or would we come with everything, sincerely, devoutly, humbly, as a poor, wretched sinner, to Jesus? Therefore, by the grace of God, if any truly and sincerely come after the Saviour Christ, to be truly converted, let it be understood that there is an absolute cost for becoming a true follower, a true, true disciple of Christ. A life for a life, an eye for an eye. It must be everything, all in. And this is not just, like I said, a, a renovating of a room of our hearts and of our souls. It has to be everything. Christ has to have the whole house of the soul. And there must be a new beginning, a new start. And behold, like that new creature, all things become new, don't they? When we've got Christ, we've got it all, haven't we? There must be a complete overhaul. And we have that beautiful picture in Jeremiah, don't we, of the potter, don't we, and the vessel. And uh, Jeremiah is told as a prophet to go down to the, pot, the potter's house and to just look at the potter and see what he's doing. And Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and he sees the potter working on the wheels. It's wonderful work on the, on, the, on the wheels. And the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. And he sees in the, in the potter's hand that the, the vessel is marred. There's a problem. The, you see, the vessel has become dry. There are bits of stone and, and sand and, and rock. It's become unmoldable, ungovernable, as it were. Like the children of Israel became. Like we, like, like we can become. There was no true godly tears of repentance, were there? It became, it became unmoldable. And what happened? The whole pot had to be broken down and reformed again. And, and, and Jeremiah saw saw the, the pot being broken down and being reformed again into a vessel of honour. And that's the Christ, isn't it? We need to be completely broken down and completely remade again into a, a vessel fit for the kingdom of heaven. And it can only be done if we're in Christ. A new vessel, a new beginning, a new start in life. Looking away from this world, away from our own hearts, to Him alone. Look unto me, all the ends of the earth and be saved. You don't have to work your way to heaven. You just have to look to Jesus alone and be converted. He will save you. But do so sincerely. 
Do so with all your heart. Don't do so with one foot in the world still. Come as you are, with all your guilt and sin. Come with everything all in. And plead and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he promises that if you genuinely do this, by the grace of God, you will be converted. Remember Christ's words in John 12, 24 through 25. Very, very, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. It must die. And have you died to yourself and what you want in life? Your own interests, self-love, self-pity, self-interest. Have you died? And you must die. And then, and then and then only can you know of that new life. When you see yourself as poor, maimed, helpless. I'm dead. And only Christ can arise me to newness of life and save me through what he has done on the cross. Through dying on the cross for my sins. Through his perfect righteousness given to me so that I'm not justified by my own works. I'm justified by faith in him alone. By his blood and by his obedience and by his righteousness. He's overcome sin. He's overcome death. And I believe totally upon him. And I'm forsaking all like pilgrim and pilgrim's progress. And I trust and believe in that. And I'm dying every day to self. Is that true of us? Every day, are you dying to yourself and what you want? And are you governed by the, the word of God and the will of God? He that loveth his life shall lose it. You see then, he that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. You see, it's only when we understand our own depravity, our own sin, our own sinful heart, our own sinful minds, our own, everything about us has been corrupted, that we understand that. We see our poverty, don't we? And we see only Christ can enrich us with his salvation. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Because, why? Because he's got to love the eternity more than earth. He's got to love Christ more than self. This is what true salvation is, to, to truly love God more than yourself. To more than anything. Parents, wife, children, loved ones, anything. And God will try us in these things. Friends, we are debtors, aren't we? We are debtors, we are all because of our sin and great debt. And only Christ can pay that debt. Our parent can't do that. A wife can't do that. Children can't do that. We won't break debt. And only Christ has paid that debt. And we are debtors no longer to live for the flesh and the things of the flesh and the things of this world. For if we live after the flesh, we will die, won't we? But if we truly seek after the Saviour and His Spirit and His, the, His, the Word of God, then we will live and that for eternal life in paradise with the Saviour. Amen.